Cells are born, men are built. This is the Great Man Podcast, where we want you to build great men as you allow other men to build you. Join New York Times bestselling author Stephen Mansfield, along with seasoned leaders of men, Anthony Flemons and JT McCraw, as we bring a wide range of experience and expertise to help you become the great man you are designed to be. With you this week, Anthony Flemons and JT McGraw. Gentlemen, let us begin. <laughs> How are you, JT? I am fine. For those uh, in the great man audience, this is the first of many, the voices that you hear now, uh, just so that you can distinguish which you will have no problem, I promise. This is uh, JT McCraw, and this is... Anthony Flemons. And you can tell that I have more of a Kentucky <laughs> intellectual... Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, that didn't work. Okay. No, seriously, uh... This is the first of the format that we've talked about in the in the weeks prior. I know that uh, Stephen has explained this to his audience, and uh, we've explained that to our audience, which was the Renovating Masculinity uh, podcast that we did for a couple of years. And we want to welcome the uh, RM guys, the community there that has joined the Great Man community. So together we're better. Uh, that sounded so cliche, but... <laughs> We are better together. Anyway, uh, but Anthony, any opening? Man, this is pretty crazy. It, it is, man. It's a brand new adventure. And if I'm honest, I feel like that I'm walking into my in-laws or future in-laws house for the first time. Oh, yeah. And I, and I had my wife with me and I'm going in. I don't know what to expect. They don't know what to expect of me. Yeah. So I'm trying to be on my best behavior, but it never works out that way for me. So you know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the first time you spend the night after you're married. It's just a weird feeling to walk into your in-law's house and you're married and spend the night for the first time. Anyway, yeah. uh, just to remind both audiences moving forward. So one week you will hear Stephen. He will bring some content that is absolutely important to masculinity and becoming great men. Just covering a, a massive amount of content in a very short time because he talks so fast. Uh, he gets about four hours and 10 minutes. And then Anthony and I will come the following week and break that content down to bite-sized, digestible, practical, personal application to where you can take it and use it and become the great man that you were created to be. So as a reminder, Anthony, of last week of what Stephen's content was, it was really about hating part of yourself when you have a hatred, a bitterness, uh, angst, uh, whatever you want to call it with your, he really focused on your parents, your mother, your father, maybe your grandparents. Or kind of people that were intimately tied to you. Yeah. And what was your kind of out of the gate, the first thoughts of when you listen to that, because I know that you have, and again, for the new listeners that you, you will start to understand our background because we're very, very open about our blooper reel, about things and mistakes that we have made in the past uh, and the things that we've overcome, because we do feel strongly that the reason that we overcome things is, is so that we can turn and help someone else 
overcome those things. So I know that that dredged up some things in you when you heard that. Yeah. Uh, what was your first initial thoughts? I guess one of the first things that I thought about when I listened to Stephen speak was, was the fact that he said this unresolved anger or this anger and rage that we feel towards those people that we love or people that we care about or that are seminal in our lives, that it causes us to live a fractured life. Mm, yeah. And that's one of the things that I most despise about this whole thing about not being whole and not being healed is that it causes us to behave in ways that it doesn't really agree with who we want to be, hmm. who we are striving to be, who we say that we are. And so that was the first thing that kind of initially got my attention. And he spoke about mothers and people that are important to us. So automatically for me, my story began to bubble up and the importance of how I had to resolve the anger that I had towards my mom. If yeah. I'm honest, that's what came up. And what was that? I mean, just, Cause I know your past. I know you, we've, you've been very open about it. Yeah. I mean, what are the things that you had to choose? And this is all a choice choose yeah. to overcome and forgive, which we'll talk about forgiveness because that's a huge part of, of healing. Sure. What are those things that you initial things that you thought this, this, and this, I really had to make a choice to overcome these things. Yeah. I know that you have a mantra that you use, man, in ways that we deal with things. And the first one that you always mention is to assess, yeah, to kind of take a look in and really find out what's at the crux to things. And for me, one of those things that drove like anger, hate, rage in my life was actually the relationship that I had with my mother and my mother's uh, and I's relationship. It was it was a uh, turmoil. If I'll, if I'll just put it in one word, I grew up in a household that my mom was still dealing with uh, unresolved anger towards my father. And I get the idea even now when I look back that when she saw me, she was really acting out towards my father, but mm. I was the one that caught the brunt of it. And I lived a life of uh, just a very extreme physical violence uh, from my mom towards me. There were times when my mom took me uh, to what I felt like was the end of my life, like very close to it, uh, through strangulation, uh, through being beat, uh, just very uh, aggressive and violent moments in my life. So it made me grow up with a fear. I was in a constant fear that I had to control all the personalities around me to be able to stay safe. Mm. And so that was very extreme uh, anger that I had towards my mom because of all these things that the one person in your life that you believe is supposed to be there to protect you. It seems like she was actually the one or the perpetrator of the things that I most feared as a young boy. Or that she even allowed into your house. Right. It wasn't always just her, but it was what she allowed to come in around you. Sure. And, and if I gave you a, a 20 second kind of idea of what JT and, and the audience with Renovating Masculinity already knows, but we're introducing ourselves to some brand new people. So I'll just take 20 seconds to kind of tell you. I'm a man that uh, from a very young age, I've suffered through uh, numerous types of abuse. I've had sexual abuse towards me. I've had abandonment and emotional abuse uh, by having my father walk out of my life when I was about three years old. And I probably saw him six or eight times through my whole life. Along with that, I also had the physical violence and the physical abuse of my mother. And as a result of having all of that in my life, I actually went and lived a life that was a violent life. So yeah. I was a drug dealer. I, I uh, started selling drugs. And again, this is a 22nd version and we'll go deeper into this, but I ended up uh, doing time in the penitentiary and it's actually the place that I found faith. So I lived, uh, 
I lived in a very despicable environment when I was locked up. So that changed me and caused some things in me. And lastly, I was actually raised to be a racist. Mm -hmm. It was important in my house that I understood that white people were not my friends. And I remember my mom motivating me to understand kind of the significance of that. She used to always tell me that as it relates to black people and white people, that in your life, Anthony, you're going to always have to be twice as good to get half the credit. Mm. So that's kind of my background that I see all of these wounds through. Yeah. And it's a good time to even mention, you know, the reason why Anthony and I are so close and good friends is because 12 years ago, we made a decision that we would meet every Monday night and we meet with about 10 or 12 other guys. It's been going on since 2011. And we just made a commitment with each other that we're not going to shy away from the difficult conversations that society is unwilling to have because of, uh, because of their own pain. So we've just spent all these years talking about very difficult. And I, you know, I can think about when the George Floyd thing, you know, all this conversation was going on and we were like, man, we've talked about this for years. Sure. You know, this was a very common conversation for us. And we have some guidelines and some rules, you know, you can't be offended. You know, if I ask a stupid question, don't take it as stupid. Just take it as I just don't know. And I want to know. And through the years, we've just seen the growth in us We've seen the because uh, we can make some people very uncomfortable because we're so comfortable with each other. Right. And it's fun. And it is. It is a lot of fun, <laughs> actually. But we wanted to bring that to our podcast. And, and that's the reason why we even started doing a podcast was to show that you can have these not just you can have you need these types of relationships. Yeah. You need diversity around you. And I don't mean the way that a lot of people define diversity. I mean true diversity where there's a complete respect and honor for each other, our upbringings, our traumas, everything that we've gone through, there's respect and honor for that. And I don't I don't think I'm higher than or you don't think you're higher than me because I've had things I've dealt with, or you've had things that you're dealt with. And that's the power of what we're doing now. And again, if you didn't pick up, Anthony is black or African-American. Yeah, there's no way they pick, they picked that up. <laughs> yeah, They might have picked up, man, he sounds like he's using another language because I'm from Texas. <laughs> yeah. So I mispronounce every word that I say. So. Yeah. But that is the power. So, I mean, again, when you hear us talking, hopefully you hear a comfort level that you is, is not normal uh, because we we've just decided that we're going to make each other better. And the only way that we can make each other better is to have difficult situations. Be honest, just like Anthony was just honest for 30 seconds about his upbringing. You may have listened to that and cringed as you listen. I listen to that and see a healed man. And I just see a, a, a kind of a testimony, so to speak, that this man's lived and actually what we're talking about today, he's lived out because you had to make choices to go back to your story a little bit. You had to make decisive decisions and choices because I watched you take care of your mother in the latter years of her life. Right. And I thought it was beautiful because I knew the story. I knew some of the story, the redemption of it all. Absolutely. But you had to make those choices along the way Yeah, to forgive, to look past, find some compassion for, like you said, you know, maybe she was acting out on you because she saw your father in you. Right. So it was, really wasn't personally against you. 
although it, it sure, affected you. It sure p- felt pretty personal. Absolutely, for yeah. sure. And you know, I guess the first thing that captured me about what Stephen had to say is when he acknowledged this thing that we do, that we have anger and hate and rage towards people. He mentioned a scene where even if someone just asked you to pass the salt, yeah. that you can't even uh, maintain a monicum of respect to be able to do that because you have all this pent up anger and rage. But what he said that really captured me was as a result of that, it will cause you to lead a fractured life. Yeah. And for me, man, that is probably one of my biggest fears, I'll say it that way, is that my life would not be whole, that I would not represent uh, not only me as a person, my family, a men in general, uh, my culture, black, but just as a Christian and a believer and a person that is decent, I would not represent that well. And I know that when we have these fractures because of things that were unresolved in our lives, that it causes us to behave in a way that doesn't agree with who we actually feel. So that's the first part of this that captured me. And I think we need to kind of dig in there, man. Yeah, and I think it's a great picture because, you know, when we try to heal a fracture or a trauma ourselves, there's always lingering residual effects that we we can't hide. It's like when I, we were talking about this and I said, you know, just think about a, a person who fractures their leg and they try to heal it themselves because they're they don't know how to do that. It's going to heal to some degree. Right. But it's always going to be, you'll see a lasting effect. It, it leaves behind evidence. It leaves behind the evidence, the residue of a past trauma. Right. And that's that's what is meant by a fracture. It's like, man, you could put on a great suit, but somebody's going to see the way you walk and go, man, something happened to him maybe as a kid, to him, whatever, that has caused him to walk kind of weird. Yeah. And that's the picture that I got, you know, of the fractured life. You know, just take that as any any bone in your body that you fracture, if it doesn't heal properly, there's always going to be evidence. Yeah. And I think about like postmortem and things like that when they're examining bodies and lives that are no longer there and there's nothing left but the skeletal remains. Yeah. They're able to look in there and still see the injuries and still see the things that have happened. And because they do, they leave evidence, things behind. So a lot of times we can think that we're covering these things because our, when we're alive, our bodies cover some of those unresolved things or some of those fractures that we never admitted to. But at some point, they do become very evident and people can see if they have the right kind of eyes, they can see that there is damage there. Yeah. And because there is damage there, a lot of times we may move, uh, we may have a hitch in our walk. Or we may make different gestures because we're accounting for that injury in our shoulder. We move differently. So that's something that 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 really struck me about when Stephen was speaking is that living this way with this unresolved anger, it causes these reactions and behaviors that we're not even aware of. And I know it to be a fact because even with my mom, man, and having lived that life with my mom, the initial thing that it caused when I was old enough really to recognize it was I had a complete distrust of women. Mm. Like I didn't, I didn't think that women could do a thing that could be trusted. And I also remember a time when I saw, I woke up two or three o'clock in the morning and my mom was going through the pants of my stepfather. And I guess she was looking for evidence of something, but I caught an eye of that. And I looked and I said, man, that's what women do when we're not looking. Mm. That's what women do. You can never be trusted. No matter how much they pretend like they love you, they're always doing something behind your back, trying to gather evidence of what it is that they think that you have done. So it caused me, JT, never to really trust women in my life. So the way that I got around that is if I felt like I was getting too close or to a point where I actually trusted, I just walked out. 
Mm. And a lot of times we're looking for answers why men behave that way, why men are afraid of, say, they say, quote unquote, afraid of a connection and afraid of commitment. A lot of times it's this unresolved anger, this unresolved wounds that we're operating out of. So we have information that's back there that gives us the right to do this. And you mentioned something when we were talking about this in the drive from Kentucky today, that when I had this anger or this way that I felt towards my mom, that people would look at it and go, you kind of have a right to feel that way. Sure. And, and that's true. And we mentioned that when we have people around us that love us, a lot of times they're more concerned about supporting us, quote unquote, rather than actually seeing us get healed. Yeah. So they'll support us in a thing that's actually damaging us. Right. Because you could tell your story to someone and they go, well, I don't blame you for hating your mother. I don't blame you for, for you know, not having a relationship with her because of the things that you did. And they do think they, they're helping. They're also telling kind of where they're at as well in their relationships. Yeah. And that's where a band of brothers comes in because a true, a true band of brothers, I would never let you just say that and not go, whoa, whoa, what is at the root of that? Right. Because I know, you know, that traumas start with a seed of something. And that seed, especially when you're a kid, just think it's you're pliable. I mean, it's you're malleable. I mean, so this seed goes into good ground, good soft ground, and it grows. And the two things that grows is the is the seed, the fruit that's within the seed, and the weeds around it. Right. And then you can't see almost the 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 source anymore because of the weeds that have grown around. And we say often that you know, with every trauma, there's a lie attached. I would say that for every trauma, there's a bed buddy <laughs> and that bed buddy is unforgiveness. Mm. And, and I know that we, we talk a lot about unforgiveness because I think that's at the core of a lot of our, the things in life that men go through that they're unwilling to talk about it because they have, they feel like they, you know, I have to be tough. I have to, which again, I don't, I don't mind men being tough. I mean, i feel like I'm a pretty tough guy myself, but at the same time, I have to have healing in order to be tougher. Yeah. And hang on to some of that stuff, JT. It's actually easier than attending to it and trying to heal from it. It's lazy in a way because it doesn't take really any real effort to maintain rage and anger because we're just out there just being who we are. Yeah. So here's my thought on that and and just go with me. Sure. I don't think I've ever said this to you before. Cool. We, we talk about that men being lazy because they don't want to deal with the things, you know, that has caused the trauma or to heal. But yet we spend a lot of time dealing with the outcomes of those things. So we're, we're managing the, the traumas that we're creating, the drama that we're creating because we're not dealing with these wounds. So that's a lot of work. So it's almost like if you would take the amount of time, the amount of effort to just manage things right. and really get to the source of it, you would it, it would be less work. Sure. It would be a lot of work in the beginning, but then you have benefits of all the work that you've done. And until you do that work, you don't have benefits. You just have a lot of drama in your life that you've created. 
Right. So good friends, JT. And, and we're talking about building a band of brothers. And you mentioned that we've been meeting together for 12 years. So basically, we had created a band of brothers without really having that terminology. That's correct. We didn't know what we were doing. We were we, just being friends. Right. And we yeah. knew that it was fruitful. Yeah. So let's just say I walk into one of these Monday nights, man, and it gets real and we're starting to talk about things and guys are opening up. And I go, man, you know, and, and yeah, I just I hate my mother, man. I mean, and I, and I have a right to hate my mother, JT, mm-hmm. because she did this and she abused me and she took me to the almost to the end of my life. And I've got marks on me right now, JT, that are a result of physical abuse yeah. from my mom. She put me in situations where I was sexually abused because she didn't have someone to watch me. And that residue caused me to have doubt and and wonder if I was homosexual and stuff when I was a little kid. What if I told you that, JT? I'm looking at you and I'm going, I'm pissed off at her and I'm still mad at her and she's dead. And you walked into that Monday night meeting? Yeah. Oh, I would immediately go, hey, Jeffrey, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not answering that. No, honestly, we. this is the great thing about a band of brothers. Right. That's what I want to, that's the point I want to make. We would affirm your feeling, but we would not let you stay there. Right. Because we love you enough to go, let's get to the source of why you're feeling that way. And we would honestly try to point you in a direction where can you find some sort of compassion for your mom? And this is what I mean. I think all of us have, have, have father wounds, have mother wounds, friendship wounds. I mean, we, we all have been wounded along the way in this journey of life. And we've also wounded people. We have to remember Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Right. That we're, you know, yes, I've been wounded, but I have wounded others. And that helps keep me calibrated and not so judgmental on the people that wounded me. But we would we would try to get you to a point to where can you have compassion? It's like I have wounds uh, as an example. You know, I have father wounds. My dad, great man, man of high integrity, high standards, just wasn't emotionally emotionally there a lot. And, you know, he wouldn't come to my, I played a lot of sports growing up and he wouldn't come to my games. And now I took that personal because there's nothing like, you know, hitting your first home run and you're running the bases and you're looking in the stands and you're looking in the stands and your dad's not there. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that hurt as a, as a child. And I, and again, you know, the seeds have been planted, but along with the seeds, a lie and that lie for me was my dad didn't care enough for me to come to my games. So the wound was he wasn't there. Yep. The lie that got inserted was he didn't love me enough to come to the game. Keep going. So, you know, grow up in life, you know, and I, again, that caused me to have a lot of different thoughts and feelings that were not good. Uh, get married, have sons and those sons play ball, baseball, football, whatever, man, I swore on my grave. <laughs> that I would not miss a game. Right. Cause I didn't want to be like my dad, like my dad. Yeah. And so man, and it, it caused some angst and some workplace issues that I wasn't going to be at work because my son had a game because you put your foot down. Absolutely. Cause, because I made a vow with myself that I would not miss a game. And I had a friend, a brother who's a band in my band of brothers. And he basically pulled me aside one day and said, do you go to the games because you want to, or do you go to the games because you don't want to be like your dad? And man, it hit me because I love my son, but I was going to the game to not be like my dad. Mm -hmm. And that was the, really the first time that it was brought to my attention that I had made a 
terrible vow with myself because instead of just being me and because I want to go to the game because I love my son, I love to watch him play. And yes, I do want to be there when he hit his first home run. And I was there and it was great, but I want to be there for him, not for my dad. Yeah. And it was a really good healing moment for me. And I had to, man, I had to ask for forgiveness (laughs) and not going to, you know, my, my son didn't really know that, but they pick up on it. I mean, sure. they kind of know because they hear conversation. Well, I just don't want to be like my dad. So I'm, you know, but it was a real healing moment for me. And it, it really did something to me all because a man had the courage enough and loved me enough to just say, dude, you're doing this for the wrong reason. Yeah. And revealing a life. Here's the thing. He revealed in a moment, a lifetime wound. Yeah. That had festered, that was not healed full of infection and he loved me enough to go, dude, that you can't do that. Yeah. Actually he didn't say you can't do that. He still gave me the choice. It was my choice what to do with it. But man, it was such a healing moment for me. Uh, And man, I was never the same afterward. And you've heard me tell that story a ton of times because it impacted me so much because it changed the way that I viewed the next game I went to, man, it was like, man, I'm here because I love my son. You know, I was, I was talking to myself and building myself up going, man, you're doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. Not because of not to be like somebody else. So if we perceive this anger in our friends and I want to also work into here, you know, the band of brothers and how we behave as a band of brothers, I think band of brothers 101 is having the stamina, having the balls to say things that could probably end the relationship. If taken the wrong way, they could damage the relationship beyond repair. But you take the chance to do that because you love that person enough yeah. that you want to see them whole. Yeah. So he could have stayed quiet and, you know, applauded you and was like, yeah, man, you're going blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times, man, if we're being a real band of brothers and we hear someone speaking out of anger and unhealed wounds, we have to bring attention to it, man. He had the balls to say what he said to you because a lot of times, JT, I think that when we're behaving out of the context of a wound, we turn it almost into a religious experience. And you'll hear me talk about religion sometimes completely separate from relationship with Christ. We're both believers, but a lot of times religion is rules driven. So we feel like if we can check all the boxes that we're going to be in a great place. And a lot of times when we're motivated by things that are not honest and integrity filled, it begins to look more like a religious exercise. And that's what going to the games had become. I got to go to church every Sunday morning. I got to shoot every, I got to get to every game. So it wasn't about, you know, your passion to be there. It was about checking the box. Yeah. And he was bold enough to call that out to you. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys that are dealing with father wounds, mother wounds, they do have that checklist that if I just do this, then I'll be okay and not really dealing with the source of the issue. I won't look anything like my father. Right. And again, this comes out uh, and we, we mentioned this a lot, you know, it comes out in addictions, you know, it comes out in medicating, which, you know, addictions are just medicating a pain, uh, an emotional, typically an emotional pain that you've just, you're unwilling to deal with. So let me just numb it by doing drugs, by, Look, I, I've talked to many people in ministry that their drug of choice is ministry because helping someone makes them feel a certain way and it takes the attention away from how they feel and the wounds that they have. Yeah. Dealt with many. So addictions are not just sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's many things. But they all, what they have in common is it's a medication to a deeper pain. 
The problem with medicating pain is also you medicate the solution. So you can never think clearly about how to get out of this. And that's when we need men to come alongside of us and go, I don't think that you're thinking straight. And we say it quite often. If the only voice you're listening to is yourself, you're listening to the voice of a fool. Sure. I mean, you can't just be the only voice in your life. You cannot personally grow by only hearing your own voice. You've got to have those other voices in your life that help you through these traumas, help you through these the lies that you believe absolutely the, the help you through the the outcomes that you don't want. Cause I, I do believe that most men have a noble vision for what they would, at least in, in, in the basic terms of what they would like to be. Give and them they, your quote about people doing their greatest good. Oh yeah. That is like your mom, right? So I always say people's intentions are their highest good according to their current level of awareness. And it's hard to believe that I could say your mom actually thought that she was doing good, whether she, how she disciplined you, how she, you know, what, for whatever reason, because I, I, I'm a firm believer if people knew the outcome of their actions, like if I could see, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this today. If I could look 10 years into my life and go, what's the fruit? This is going to be the outcome of that decision Mm -hmm. today. I would change that decision if it wasn't a good outcome. I believe everybody's like that. So it's people's intentions are their highest good according to their current level awareness. So it's our job, I think as men and as friends to let me make you aware of a few things. And, you know, again, coming out in what we're talking about self-hatred because you know, you have this wound against your mom and dad. So let's peel back this thing that Stephen talked about. He's a brilliant thinker. And every little statement he says is like a book. But one of them was that through hating these people that are intimately attached to us, like family members or mother or father, we end up hating a portion of yourself. And I am still trying to digest that and get to the crux of what he means there. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you buy into that? that thought pattern right there that through us hating, say this offense that our father did or our mother did that somehow it breeds a thing in us that causes us to really have a self loathing or self hating is the physical, uh, the psychological kind of term for it. Yeah. And that comes out as you grow older in life too, right? Because you may say, man, I don't want to be like my parents in this way. And then you have kids and you become a parent and you start realizing I'm a lot like my parents. I'm way more like my parents than I want to be. And you, that self-realization, man, that's a, that's a tough one, especially if you've got unresolved wounds and unhealed wounds. I would say that's why it is absolutely critical that you assess your life and you say, where are the wounds that happened to me as a kid? Where are the traumas? What's the lies associated with them? And I need to deal with them and let these wounds become scars instead of open wounds that are always affecting my life. We say, man, you're just bleeding all the, all over the people that you love. Right. And and you're getting mad at them for getting blood on them, but it's your blood. Yeah. And that's how you can start telling, man, this anger, this bitterness, this resentment that I have, it's, it is at its core not even remotely good for you. Yeah. It's like somebody saying, you know, well, just a little cocaine is okay. No, there is no measure of cocaine that's good for you. There's no measure of unforgiveness that's good for you. 
because yeah. it's going to affect your life in a way that you you can't perceive it, like you can't think it out. It's it's going to affect you in the in the negative sense. It's going to affect the people around you, and then you're going to blame everybody around you for how you feel and how you've been quote treated. But it's really your responsibility. And again, as men, we we have to say, where is it my fault first? What if it's me? What if it's me? Yeah. That if that's not your first response to something, then then you are not thinking clearly. Yeah, you're you're bamboozled. You are. And 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 if you're listening right now, going, well, I don't believe that. Then you're a great candidate for this thought process. Yeah. And I think there's a process of which. Guys can get healed. Guys can get uh, their lives can be redeemed. Relationships can be redeemed. I mean, you at the end of your mother's life. I mean, you had some choices that you could have made that could have made her her life a living hell, <laughs> but you didn't. Yeah. In fact, I watched a a man who was tender with his mother, who was caring for his mother, who did things that I don't believe most men in your situation would have done. Sure. But it also goes. It goes. The credit goes to the hard work you did of overcoming those wounds and finding, again, a place of compassion for your mom. Like, I had to find a place of compassion for my father. Like, I seriously thought, okay, he wasn't taught this. It wasn't modeled for him either. So how yes. can I hold him responsible for something that he doesn't know? And as a kid, you don't express these things, right? You just hold them in. Uh, so there was no, hey, Dad, you know when you don't come to my games, you know, this ha- I mean, that that was never even a conversation. Yeah. But, man, we have to really dig deep like you did and go, man, I got to find a place in compassion and I I have to move past this. Yeah. And we, we you've heard me talk about, you know, the bear trap word analogy or the word picture that I use quite often. Uh, and I stole this from Stephen, even though I don't ever give him credit. But, you know, the bear trap. He's going to hear this. That's OK. I don't care. Uh you know, the bear trap has the jaws. That's what clamps down on the bear when it hits that pan. The pan is where you set the bait. And that's it's also in, in the old terms called a scandalon, scandal, offense, um, stumbling block. You know, all those terms come into that word. So when we take the bait of, of unforgiveness, a couple things happen is that trap clamps on us. It's not going to let go because there's a spring that holds the pressure and the force of the closet. You can't open unless you release the latch. And the person in the trap can't release the latch. That's got to be somebody outside of the outside of the person trapped. The other thing is, is, is the trap is tethered to a tree because you don't want the animal, the bear, to run off. So when we... When we have this unforgiveness, when we have this offense, when we have this stumbling block in our relationships, we're tethered to that event. And we can go years and think that we're okay until somebody hits that wound and all of a sudden we're right back to where it all started because we've not gotten over it. We've let those claws set into our legs, so to speak, and the infection set in and it's never, ever healed. And we got to have somebody come alongside us and go, can you help me get healed? Yeah, sit down for a minute. Let me leverage this for you so you can pull your leg out of there. Whether that's a therapist, a counselor, a friend, a pastor, whatever it may be, 
But man, we need people to come alongside of us and go, man, I can see that you're trapped. You've gotten so used to it that you don't even know you're trapped anymore. But yet in your life, you've never moved forward past this event. And that's a sign of I've never really dealt with this because when I'm asked to pass the salt (laughs) from the mother that hurt me. Yeah. What do you need the salt for? It comes out. The food doesn't need any salt. That's exactly right. (laughs) It comes out. You can't, it's like the old beach ball analogy. You can hold it down as long as you want to underwater. At some point, it's going to pop out. You can't hold it forever. You know, I'm, but I'm thinking, man, you know, JT, I told you one time about when a pastor was speaking over me and prophesying over me. Like this guy didn't know me at all, but he looked at me and he said, Anthony, I'm not saying you're suspicious, but you think that there's a fool born every minute. <laughs> I remember minute. that, yeah. You know, and and I knew that that he knew something that I didn't, man, mm-hmm. because that is a real quick word picture of my personality. And, you know, there's guys like me that are sitting out there right now going, yeah, I have this unresolved thing. I have this anger. I have this rage towards, say, my parents or X, Y, Z. But I don't really believe that it's causing me to hate a part of myself. And and I just want to make you think about this. As I tell you this very quickly, I want you to know that later in life, my father and I, we resolved a lot of the things that we had uh, that had damaged our relationship. But if you want to hurt my feelings, even now, you can tell me a couple of things that will get to me real quick. One is you're dishonest. Mm -hmm. You're a liar. Mm -hmm. One is you're unfaithful. You're a cheat. All of those things characterize what I thought the picture of my father was. Mm. So to be called any of those things is very damaging to me right away. So having observed my father only on three or four or five, eight occasions when I was a boy, one thing that I knew was that he was not a faithful man, that he had more than one girlfriend, that he treated women very poorly. I had gathered that he was very physical with my mom, that he had beat my mom, uh, been violent towards my mom. So when I grew up, I was like, I don't want to have this thing in myself. Mm -hmm. So when I was with numerous girls or different girls, my way around dealing with the fact that I was similar to my father was, well, I told them all that they weren't the only one. Uh, So I could have a bunch of girlfriends as long as I was honest and tell them you're not the only one. And in my heart, I know that when we are with women and we when we give ourselves to these relationships, they are hoping to capture us at some point. But I thought that that was my way around, like being like my father. So I was definitely identifying something in myself that I knew was in my father and I didn't like it. Yeah. So I hated that part of me because I hated it in my father. So I'm telling you that there is a significant tie between these things that we are angry with our loved ones about and the way that we feel about ourselves, because the moment when any of that kind of peeps its head up, we hate ourselves and we can do a couple of things like we dismiss it, we hide it, we cover it. And that's what Stephen was talking about. It breeds shame. Yeah. It breeds depression because we're like, I'm trapped in this. I can't escape it. I can't get away from it. And it does breed these things in us because we're trying to react to something that's definitely in us. Because if we're honest and because we're men of faith, we know that all these broken proclivities and characteristics are in us all. Yeah. So we're going to be able to identify all of those. But if we never get to a place that we can look at them and have some grace and mercy for them, we can we can never really expect to have grace and mercy in our own lives when people are able to see that in our own lives. So there is a process, and and I want to go through, through this very briefly. And this this process you're going to hear quite often uh, because it's a tried and true process of getting healed. And it's the four A's. Not it's not AA, but it's AA AA. You got that right. 
it's very common, but again, you, you may not have heard this. So there's four A's there's, you have to assess your situation. So what's it look like? Are you, are you angry? Do you bite people's heads off quickly on just mundane things? You know, are you kind of people, but inside you're just railing them, you know, without them even knowing it because that's that internal, because a lot of guys can in, internalize these things, but yet they're still going on. So assess yourself. It's it's like in the South when we go, bless his heart. Bless his heart. Yeah. That's a, that means what an idiot. So assess yourself. It, then you have to acknowledge that you actually have a problem. Like, oh, wait a minute. This is an issue that's causing things and outcomes that I, I, I don't like. I don't have any control over it. But the lot that see, but that's the lie. You do actually have control over it. So you assess the issue, you acknowledge it. Okay, this is the this is the problem I have. This is why I have it. There's this deep wound, this deep trauma that I've never dealt with. Then you have to take action. What are the action steps that you're going to take to get out of that? That may mean even if your parents have passed away, that action step may mean. I'm going to sit down and write a letter and I'm just going to put it all out. And then at the end of it, I'm going to forgive because it's not about them anymore. This is about you. This is about your life. And then you have to have accountability. Tell someone doesn't have to be, you know, don't have to broadcast it all over. Don't, you don't have to pick a billboard and put it on Twitter. Yeah. So, but you, but just, it could be one person. It could be two people. It could be whatever, but you say, Hey, this is what I've assessed about myself. I've acknowledged that this is an issue because I can see the outcome of it. This is the action steps I'm going to take, and I need to, you to hold me accountable. And, and real quick, uh, holding someone accountable means this. Accountability is never taken from someone. Nobody's going to walk up to me and go, hey, I'm going to keep you accountable. Yeah, you keep me accountable for what I'm about to do to you, but you ain't going to keep me accountable for because accountability is giving someone permission to save me from myself. Right. They have to be invited into they have that. To be bait. invited into the accountability, which again, you know, I can, I can have a whole podcast on the word accountability because I don't like it very much. Uh, but it's a term that we use because I think it's taken the place of friendship. This is just what friends do. I don't have to have an accountability partner. I just need a friend. But if you'll do this process and you'll really take inventory of your life and the areas that you need, uh, that when people touch, it hurts because it's because it's a infected wound that's never been healed. If you'll do this process, then I promise you, forgiveness is on the other side. Because this is one of the arts of great men. To join the great man community, or to book Stephen, Anthony, or JT to speak at your men's event, go to greatman.tv. There, you'll also find incredible resources to help you become the great man you are designed to be. The Great Man Podcast is a Wise Company production.